It's day eight, um, Monday the 23rd of January, and um, the sun is probably about 20 minutes from setting. It's setting to the west behind some clouds. Uh, the weather's definitely changing. You know, if you uh, remember the last few podcasts, we've been plodding across an enormous plain. Um, having left some mountain ranges behind but the biggest mountain range of all looms probably about two days ahead of us the Hijaz mountains that rise up to about 6,000 feet Um, nestling on the inland side of those is the hill country of the hill sort of community of Taif the community so look forward to seeing that in a few days time Uh, and then we will descend the seaward side the western side of those mountains into Jeddah Um, I think about this time next week when our journey across Arabia comes to an end. But we're camped tonight um, overlooking another vast plain, (coughs) which actually is an old riverbed. Um, But we just bumped into an old Bedouin chap this afternoon who informed informed us that it rained here 15 days ago. And if you scratch away the sand at a depth of about four or five inches, you can find evidence of that. The sand gets very heavy and very dark. And there is uh, one or two signs of grass starting to grow, but really superficially it looks as if it hasn't rained here for many, many, many years. In the distance there's a line of mountains. We found a little bit of shelter. The wind has dropped, um, but certainly the weather seems to be changing with um, quite a few clouds gathering. Although I don't think we're in for any any rain. But uh, we're, we're on the southwest side of this last great physical barrier, other than the Hejaz Mountains, the last great barrier that Philby faced and, 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 and we faced really, which is the Uruk um, Sabai, this huge area of sand. And these are these dunes, about 70 miles long, 15 miles wide, these are the biggest dunes outside of the Rub al-Khali, much um, further to the south and the east. And they are enormous mountains of sand. And we, like Philby, anticipated quite a few problems crossing which was why we camped just on the edge of them yesterday. We'd run out of daylight, really, to attempt to cross, uh, and really that was not the time of day to get stuck and have to push and get sand ladders out. So we spent the night um, tucked up in a little um, relatively sheltered um, spot, which turned out to be one of the best campsites we have had. Absolutely beautiful, a gorgeous view, sheltered from, from the wind, lovely and sandy um extraordinary stars there there's no moon at all last night uh, or the night before um so the stars were spectacular last night and uh um very relaxing evening temperatures rose um was able to lie back in my sleeping bag last night with my body half out of it and just just stare at the stars and uh, rather than burying my head inside trying to keep warm uh, as I have been over the last week or two but uh, um, calm night um, Reams camera trap paid uh, dividends last night the uh, tin of tuna smelly tuna did its um, did its bit lots of fox tracks around the a small bush where Reem had hidden her camera trap and uh, sure enough all the tuna had gone so hopefully um, we'll get some pretty good images of um, a fox getting stuck into a pile of tuna at some point from the team at uh, at, at Koust. 
So as I lay in my bag this morning, it was uh, it, I was looking really craning my neck. I couldn't quite see the southern sky. I was looking for the Southern Cross. Um, so I'll have a I'll have a look tonight. I'm probably better positioned tonight to see it. But um, the first noise I heard, it was totally silent all night. Um, beautiful, really powerful silence. Um, was a bird starting to call in what I thought was darkness. I drifted off to sleep and slept a bit fitfully during the night. But when I when I groped around and found my watch, it was about five a.m. It's still still an hour or so before sunrise. But you know what the uh, the hoopoe larks. There's a particular species of bird here that runs around a little bit like a, a mini roadrunner, and like our skylark in Britain that lives in flat open country it flies high to get a view to look around for predators exactly the hoop hoopoo larks fly up and come down with a beautiful whistling call and they were starting to call well before i could i couldn't detect any change in the light looking um in the east where the sun was about to uh, to rise but they clearly can and they start calling quietly to each other and then getting louder and louder and more joined in as 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 the light does slowly slowly increase and Alan and I walked on top of the hill above camp and watched the most beautiful sunrise this morning before descending down for breakfast Reem and I then um, headed off for uh, a few more kilometers and hours under the belt um, Anna had the drone up doing some filming um, so a, a lovely uh, morning but our, actually our passage through this barrier was made uh, relatively uh, easy by um, our friends at the gold mine that we drove past last of all yesterday afternoon who'd uh, who'd cleared a track through one of the easier passes between the dunes um, perhaps a bit of a contribution a social social contribution to the local community for whom the dunes would present a huge um, challenge to have to drive around um, so they've helped clear a track part way through which we followed and um, and here we are on the other side safely without any uh, anything uh, anything happening untoward, which is great. So we've been looking, uh, so we reconnected then with Philby's line. Philby crossed these dunes a little bit further north than we did. Uh, uh, we then drove north when we um, popped through the dunes to reconnect with his line. And he spoke about an old fort that um, guarded a particular water hole. And we, we've spent this afternoon visiting a couple of old water holes that we could find. But... Um, uh, all of them were dry, no water and no sign of any fort. Philby did say it was fairly dilapidated when he saw it. But for him uh, and his team, now this was... Um, he, he's really into Neki country because he, he's now in the land of the tribes that support Sharif Hussain of Mecca. And uh, this was why he's doing this journey travelling under the protection of Ibn Saud um, to prove to Ibn Saud that he did have the allegiance of the tribes and it was possible to travel safely all the way to the coast to Jeddah. Um, but Philby, for the last few um, weeks, when terrain, or last few days, when terrain has allowed, he's been choosing his campsites um, hidden away, um, out of sight, because he doesn't want to attract attention of, of the local tribal people. But out here in these enormous plains, he has absolutely no choice. There is nowhere to hide. Now, that has advantages because it means that you can see who's coming. You're not going to get spooked um, uh, by surprise. And, and he writes about this in, in, in his book, The Heart of Arabia. 
and he says we were now clear of the of the dangers lurking in the folds of the highlands in the daytime no foe could now approach us without timely warning of his presence but at night no friendly shelter concealed the campfire from prowling brigands should any be about for four days since leaving Casaria behind us we had seen no living soul and really we've probably only seen about half a dozen people over the last four or five days um, I think we've crossed one or two roads but we've been off road for four or five days solid covering a couple of hundred kilometers just an amazingly um, remote country but he's seen no living soul but in the morning of the day just ended droppings of sheep gone by some day or two before had been observed arguing the not too distant presence distant presence of shepherd folk um, so he's got to be careful uh, there's nowhere to hide um, um, and he also stopped in those those dunes uh, where we stopped last night before he he set to crossing and um, he was sitting around the fire they, they had a couple of incidents that really made him travel from here on with much greater caution sitting around the fire the, he says the idle banter froze upon our lips as a low long wail pierced the darkness around us hark a wolf said one there he howls again or perhaps said another a saluki hound of some shepherd camp but is very near and we saw no sign of human life at sundown nay said a third it's the sign of a scout calling to his gang we've been spotted so the fire was quickly extinguished and the party scattered to their arms while the Rafiks, so their guides, who the, the Rafik was always someone from the local tribe who would be sent forth to barter, um, while the Rafiks strode forth to the four corners of the camp, and one after another proclaimed our whence and whither to the silent night. Watches were set for the night, and next morning searchers found the tracks of the wolf which had alarmed us in the near vicinity of the camp. So, um, wolves around then um not so much here um today the, the the wolves are doing really well back where i live in southern um oman They're, they they seem to be thriving whilst small farm steads uh, and i'm talking just a you know a tent with a wire cage but some goats and that's all awful for wolves and animals like that so so you know the the, the top field ecologists who operate in southern Oman so that's people like Andrew Spolton, Hardy Hikmani and his brother Khalid Hikmani they start they spend their lives studying um, the wolves and the mammals the larger mammals down there so wolves seem to be doing really well um, I came sadly across a one that was dead on the road last year or the year before I think but it but it's pelt and, and its body was really a really healthy animal other than the fact that it was dead um, so wolves are doing well um, striped hyena also doing really really well again for the same reasons as the wolf we think in that there's more to scavenge as the populations grow slightly in the hills um, around the city of Salala in southern Oman but I know uh, the other the top the top of the food chain in southern Arabia in southern Oman anyway is the Arabian leopard and I'm not sure how many are left in the mountains of Dofar I think maybe between 50 and 80, um, but I'm not the expert. Andrew and Khalid and Hardy are. Um, but I know the three of those are now here in Saudi Arabia um, more and more. 
working on a project um, supported by an organisation called Panthera. And this project is trying to identify whether the Arabian leopard still exists at all here in Saudi Arabia. And uh, they've set up hundreds of camera traps along the south of Saudi, along the border with Yemen, where the country is pretty good, uh, pretty quiet. Um, the likelihood of being hunted is much reduced. Um, and these camera traps have thrown up um, plenty of evidence of wolves, which is good, plenty of evidence of hyenas, which is good, but absolutely no evidence of um, Arabian leopard, sadly. So it seems like the leopard, like the ostrich to which we referred um, a couple of podcasts ago, um, have sadly disappeared from the plains of Arabia, as did the oryx many years ago. Um, but the oryx has been successfully reintroduced and um, what was going to be a conservation project is now going to be a, um, a sort of reintroduction project. And I think... Uh, uh, Andrew and Hardy and Khalid and the team they'll be they'll be now looking at how can they successfully establish a reintroduction program to bring the Arabian leopard back to um, Saudi Arabia but for Philby um, these sands other than a physical barrier um, all of a sudden took on a, a rather more sinister tone um, so he just arrived in advance of his um, the baggage train and uh, they were plodding ahead of the group and uh, toiling up, a, toiling up a, a long sandy slope and, and he said around us rolled the sea of sand utterly desolate in its emptiness. The leaders suddenly drew up, Sadiq, they, they shouted in different keys. We were with them before we realised what had happened and found ourselves covered at a range of 20 yards by a dozen rifles. For all of our precautions, we had walked straight into an ambush. Our rifles slung to our saddle frames, unloaded, and we were completely at the mercy of our surprises, while the main body, still far behind us, was hurrying up at its best speed. In the meantime, there was nothing to be done but to hold up our hands under the menace of these ominous barrels and to parley with the foe. There then arose a hubbub such as I have seldom heard, Three or four of our opponents, ill-clad and bareheaded, rose from their cover of bushes while the rest ceased not to cover us. Of the negotiations which ensued, everybody shouting at the top of his voice and all together, to me not a single word was intelligible. Um, the, the Rafiks who had all been behind now came up and advanced into the forefront of the wordy melee. Salam alaikum, walaikum assalam. The words of peace were spoken, and the tension was over. Come on with me, said Saad, and I followed him obediently aside, while friend and foe gathered on the summit of the ridge to fraternise. Let us halt here for the night, said Ibrahim, and I yielded, but with little murmuring, as there was little hope of our now reaching the further edge of the sands. We and our erstwhile enemy camped side by side in adjoining hollows. I suggested that we might invite them to share our evening meal, but my proposal was, was negatived. In the first place, it was still unknown to them that the party they had just ambushed contained an Englishman, and the discovery of an infidel amongst us might cause them regrets at the moderation they had exercised in the moment of their undisputed ascendancy, and would certainly be blazoned abroad by them on their onward journey, perhaps to our undoing. 
In the second place, we had naught but rice and dates in our larder, while they were known to have a sheep. These arguments were unanswerable, and I rested content um, with the reflection that my identity was not as obvious to strangers as I assumed it must be. They were a small party, a dozen all told, of merchants with carriers and guides returning home from the community of Kurama, that's where we're heading tomorrow, with foreign merchandise imported through the Hijaz mountains. They were more wary in their progress than ourselves. They had been warmed by their scouts of the approach of what they took to be a raiding party, which was us, whose numbers left them little hope of successful resistance in the event of an attack. So they had accordingly decided to secure the initiative for themselves and the advantage of position. For the rest they had put their trust in God and determined to sell their lives and their goods as dearly as it might be. So, such are the daily anxieties and dangers of the desert. For day after day we had marched warily enough, ever on the lookout, but an hour or two before we had been warned to be on the alert, yet at the critical moment we were off our guard and in other circumstances might have paid dearly for our fault. So I don't think such challenges um, lie in store for us tonight, um, thankfully. Um, tomorrow, on we plod, Reem and I, the alarm will go off at uh, 6.30 before sunrise. Um, Reem and I will make forward progress for the community of Kurama. We think we might reach there just before sunset tomorrow and uh, we may set up camp and travel into the Bedouin community there uh, to see if we can get some water and some food and then come back to our campsite. So making good progress, this I think is day eight now, so we're, we're day eight out of 14, and uh, so we're, we're over halfway. I think in the psychology of expeditions, this is always the, this is always the sort of quieter time. I always like an expeditions to marathons. You know, the first five miles, you barely know you're running because of all the excitement. Um, the last five, you put on a sprint because you can smell the finishing line. Um, but it's that sort of third quarter. Um, the second quarter, you're into a routine, but the third quarter, where we are now, kind of 75% of the way through our entire journey, um, that's the bit where you start to get tired, where the finishing line is still a wee way ahead, um, but everybody's doing really well. Anna's on the mend, still like me croaking a bit, um, but uh, we're doing okay. Um, tomorrow we'll see us near the community of Kurama. That'll be Tuesday. Um, I think Thursday we will be on the outskirts of Taif, on the edge of those enormous Hijaz mountains. So we're going to try and um, enjoy as much as we can the solitude and the peace of the desert before we approach the coastal communities of, um, well, the mountain community, community of Taif and then the bright, bright lights of um, Jeddah, you know, a city, a coastal city with several million inhabitants. So that's going to be very, very different from where we are tonight. The sun has set. Um, I can't see a light in any direction, um, uh, but it's going to be very different to that in five or six days' time.